Welcome into another weekly edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad joined by Andrew Gillis. Mike Nislik has the night off. And again, folks, I've said it before. I am going to keep saying and singing this again and again and again. Make sure you sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider. 14-day free trial. It's $4.99 a month, but you're not going to be charged until the end of that trial. And if you're still not sure about what CFI, a.k.a. Cincinnati Football Insider is, it just gives you the best insights and bonus content from the Bengals every day before it gets to social media and anybody and anyone else. You will get everything and anything you need to know. And you can sign up by going to cleveland.com slash Bengals by clicking on that blue banner at the top of the page. Or you can send a text to 513-949-4147. So, Andrew, it's Steelers Week Part 2. And I know for you, this is uh, the first year you've covered the Bengals. Uh, obviously, you're familiar with the AFC North, having covered you know the Ravens before you came to Cincinnati this year. But... You know, it's one thing to, to hear about the Bengals-Steelers rivalry from afar, but, you know, being in Cincinnati, especially after covering that week one game, do you kind of sense the energy, like, just being at the stadium, you know, being around the fans? Like, do you sort of sense what this rivalry really is like in person? Yeah, I mean, I think you get a sense of that whenever it's a division game, um, you know, because with, with the Bengals, I mean, obviously there's that that feeling there for the Ravens and there's that feeling there for the Browns, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a divisional game that's really important for them this week. Um, they're 0-3 in the division, but that's not good enough. Um, you're, you started with a loss to the Steelers who are pretty terrible this year. That's not good enough. Like, I, I think that there's a lot of things kind of ramping into this. You're off a bye week. You got a divisional opponent. You haven't won a game in the division all year. You're in a playoff chase now. I think there's a lot of things kind of converging. So it's a little hard to tell, you know, what is what. But, I mean, yeah, I, for sure. There's, um, you know, there's there's energy there. And, and I think that, obviously, the, the divisional part, I mean, that plays a big part in it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know me, you, and Mike have talked about it. I know uh, you and I think there's a very slim chance the Bengals get back into the divisional race, especially if they get a absolutely much needed win Sunday. I know Mike has kind of written them off and instead is kind of focusing on, you know, can they get that wild card, especially with just the gauntlet of the AFC standings right now after Buffalo lost to Minnesota and, you know, Miami getting a win and everything shuffling in between. But yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about the rivalry the other day and, you know, is the tide turning? Is it changing? And I, you made a good point about, you know, yeah, they swept them last year. They got the Monday night, the really weird Monday night win, I should say, with Ryan Finley after Joe Burrow tore his ACL during that COVID season. But yeah, I think if you want to take those bragging rights back after that dud of a week one loss, you know, you don't just have to win this weekend. You have to win big, especially being at Heinz Field, which is a place that historically has been very hostile and unfriendly. Uh, to the Bengals, who have really been dominated, like in a lopsided series against Pittsburgh. But focusing on the here and now, on the defensive side of the ball for Pittsburgh, initially Adam Schefter had reported that Minka Fitzpatrick, the Steelers' free safety, would be out a couple weeks after an appendectomy to get his appendicitis removed. But then Mike Tomlin kind of backtracked this week and said that he's hoping he'll play this week. Uh, Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan both said their expectation is that uh, he will play this Sunday. Now, that doesn't mean it's guaranteed. That's just what they're planning for and anticipating. 
And of course, with Nika Fitzpatrick, when you talk about him, you know, you can't forget about him when you look back at that week one when Pittsburgh had an overtime. He had the pick six on the Bengals' first drive of the year on Joe Burrow, 11 tackles, probably one of his best, if not the best game this season. He was defensive player of the week in the AFC because of it. Some very questionable uh, late hits he had that I think um, Bengals fans would like to have seen called the other way, but, you know, his numbers speak for himself. I mean, he's uh, in, in terms of coverage, he's a top 15 ranked uh, safety, according to Pro Football Focus. I think he's graded around an 80. And so I think when you think about that, I mean, I'm not going to say the whole game runs through Minka Fitzpatrick. But, I mean, how different is this going to be for Joe Burrow and for Zach Taylor's offense, you know, with or without Minka Fitzpatrick Sunday? Yeah, I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick, he's one of the better safeties in the game. Um, you know, that that is a guy that if you're the Bengals, you do not want uh, you do not want to have in the lineup um, on Sunday. I mean, he he's really, really good. Um, he just has he has a feel for the ball. Uh, he's really, really smart. And I think that one of the things that, you know, you're I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum on offense. But like when you have an offense like the Bengals have especially without, you know, without having Jamar Chase. I mean, you're not exactly firing on all cylinders with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Now, granted, they just beat the snot out of the Panthers, but, like, come on. The Panthers aren't a real team. Um, so, like, you've, <laughs> on like paper. <laughs> you would, you know, you would like to see them do it um, against a, a against an opponent like this, um, you know, even, even without Minka Fitzpatrick. But, yeah, I mean, if Fitzpatrick's in the lineup – it's just a game changer because their front is so good and they're, they just make it so tough to pass protect so tough to get the ball out quick. And when you've got a guy like that on the back end, I mean, it's just really, really difficult to handle. Yeah, absolutely. And with Pitts Fitzpatrick, he did not practice Wednesday. Um, a lot of players did not practice for the Steelers. Marcus Allen, Devin Bush, you talk about that front. Um, neither of them practiced respectively due to illness and Knee injuries, Larry Ogunjobi, the former Cincinnati Bengal, who was hurt just shy of that Super Bowl run last year, funny enough, on the other side of the rivalry, didn't practice either with a knee injury. And we'll get to that front later. But when you look at the depth chart, I mean, DeMonte KZ would be the next man up if Minka Fitzpatrick does not meet those expectations and play Sunday. And, I mean, that's someone you really don't know much about because he's really been the guy, Fitzpatrick has been. But, I mean, you know, and that's the thing is, I mean, he's really the centerpiece of that secondary. Uh, not, not a knock on the rest of their secondary, but I mean, he's an all-pro, pro bowl. Like you said it yourself, one of the best safeties in the league. And, you know, we talk a lot about how the league on a defensive front has shown a lot of those two high safety looks. And I think Joe Burrow first got used to that in that first game with that too high look that led to the pick six where – Fitzpatrick just kind of bit on the ball and just anticipated it with that too high look. And, you know, the rest was history. And I keep saying it over and over again, one of the wackiest games ever. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it does change the game whether he's in it or not. Like, he is a big part of that defense. And I think the interesting thing is let's say he does play. Let's say he does practice Thursday, Friday, and, you know, maybe he just makes his way into the lineup on uh, – on Sunday, whether it's limited snaps or not, he say he plays. I mean, without Jamar Chase, who is still injured for at least the next week, I mean, how much harder does it get for Joe Burrow when you're going up against one of the league's best safeties without your best wide receiver? I mean, how much harder does it get for Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and whoever plays that wide receiver three? 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard because, I mean, this is a week you got to get the ball out. Like, they they can rush off the edge. You have T.J. Watt and uh, Alex Highsmith. Um, I mean, those are two outstanding pass rushers off the edge. Um, then you've got Cam Hayward uh, up the middle, Larry Ogunjobi up the middle. And, you know, uh, I asked Brian Callahan this today, the offensive coordinator, like, you know, about, basically the question was inside and, and exterior pressure and, you know, pressure off the edge, pressure up the middle. And he was talking about how pressure up the middle is one of the more devastating things that a team can do because there's not a place for the quarterback to go. You know, if you have, you know, like I'm sure for TJ Watt this week, I'm sure they're going to chip him. I'm sure they're going to have a plan for him. They're going to work. You can work around that. There are workarounds for edge guys. Up the middle, there's not really a workaround for for a Cam Hayward guy. There's not, you know, you can you can do the things that you um, that we've seen them do this year. They've put Samaje Ryan kind of in like an up back position, and you know he can kind of help out in terms of, of pass blocking up the middle. But it, it's a difficult task to just get the ball out against this team because they can get after the quarterback. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I think Joe Burrow was um, you know picked off four times in that first game because he everything just kind of seemed to be moving a little quickly. They picked it up at the end of the game, but they hadn't played together. The offensive line had not played together. Um, the offense had not played together. Burrow didn't take a preseason snap. So, like, you're talking about an offense that just hadn't gotten any reps together. <clears throat> and then they play really well in the second half against uh, Pittsburgh. They go to Dallas, and they lay a stinker for, like, two and a half quarters. So it it was a weird start to the year for this team. I mean – the Dallas loss looks more forgivable now than it did then, um, considering how, how talented Dallas appears to be. But, yeah, I mean, against against a, a pass rush like this, you just got to get the ball out. Like, there, there's no real ifs, ands, or buts. Like, you can't say, like, oh, well, we can, we can wait for big plays to develop because if you do that, Burrow's going to get eaten alive. And that's the thing about it is, like, no disrespect to the Bengals' offense. We have seen big plays without Jamar Chase. Like, we saw it against Carolina, but – like you said, it's Carolina. That's not a real team. The Steelers, I get, are not much better. I mean, they're three and six. I mean, then that's a whole different uh, conversation. But if you want to get in the part of that conversation, it's not because of their defense. Far from it. I mean, that is a top six, top seven defense. And it's because of that D-line that you mentioned with Alex Highsmith on the outside. Larry Ogunjobi, who, I mean... Like, I'm sure Zach Taylor would have wished he went to a team that was not in the AFC North. He even joked about that earlier. And then you have a literal Hall of Famer and Cam Hayward and TJ Watt. I mean, you got to remember, I know he's coming back from injury. He played a little bit against New Orleans, but this guy is the reigning defensive player of the year. He had like, what, 22 and a half sacks last year, which was historic on many levels. And if he did not get hurt, which funny enough was in week one against Cincinnati, who he absolutely dominated then he could easily still be in that conversation because he is still within the apex of his prime. And in that game against Cincinnati, he had that pick and he got to Joe Burrow once before he ultimately went out with that pectoral injury, which sidelined him until last weekend when they came out of that bye week. But man, I mean, like Joe Burrow said himself, you cannot fully neutralize him. You can stop him on certain rushes. You can double team him. But it's kind of like the same thing with Miles Garrett. You can't fully stop them. It's just about minimizing the damage. But there's going to be damage. I mean, I think he's going to get at least a sack. And that's well, I mean, not a yeah, – That's the thing. You just got to get the ball. Like this – I think that this can kind of – this game can kind of be a good, a good test for a couple different things. I think it can be a good test for their offensive line. 
um, you know, because their offensive line was not great against the Steelers. I think there were some sacks that um, Joe will admit and Joe's right to admit. I know Joe just, you know, I know a lot of quarterbacks try to cover for their guys, um, but is, some of those sacks were on him in week one. Um, some of the sacks were on the offensive line. So, like, I, I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, you're going to get a good you're going to get a good look at what the offensive line is and kind of maybe how much they've progressed. Um, you're going to get a good look at what the offense can be without Jamar Chase uh, and maybe how much they've progressed um, because they, the Browns game was an absolute clunker. Then you play the Panthers and you beat the snot out of them. And then you have a bye week. So we we've been, it feels like we've been without Jamar Chase, like just in, in the news, I guess in like playing in the news. Cause he's obviously his injury reports are very newsworthy, but like, it feels like we've kind of been without Jamar Chase here just in terms of our, you know, what's, what's on front of mind for a while. And it's only been two games. Um, so the Bengals are really, I think they're going to have to, um, I mean, they're going to have to figure something out because this ain't the Panthers and you're going to play the Titans next week. And you would hope that Jamar Chase is healthy for that um, if you're the Bengals. But yeah, I, I mean, like I said, you just got to get the ball out quick because if you don't, your offensive line is going to have to play the best football game that they have played all year long. Um, and even if they do, TJ Watt's still going to get his. So just get the ball out. And to that point, and also in defense of Burrow at the same time, you know, yeah, he is going to stick up for his line after that game in uh, week one. But yeah, a lot, some of those sacks were literally his fault. But in his defense at the same time, funny, we mentioned Minka Fitzpatrick appendectomy. He had an appendectomy. Burrow did and didn't play a single preseason snap. So you can maybe give him some saving grace there because if he played – you know, in the preseason, even if it was just a couple snaps, I don't think we would have seen that. So he was a little bit behind, and obviously that's not an excuse now because it's week 11, but, I mean, there's a little bit of mercy you could have for him, but I'm going to be a little less merciful towards the line and say this. Look, not all the sacks were their fault, and I understand you have T.J. Watt, who, like I said, could be a Hall of Famer. Cam Hayward, definitely a Hall of Famer, and Devin Bush and Alex Highsmith don't make things any easier. But I will say this, though. You had a bad game against – I understand it's forgivable now, but you had a bad game against Dallas where they had their second most sacks allowed. They had six the week after that. And I understand even though Burrow's 31 sacks are the second most in the league, I understand one-third of those came in those first two games. I get that. But you look at Cleveland, you look at Joe Mixon's rushing numbers – up until that breakout game against Carolina. And I understand Joe Mixon has a lot to say about that too. He has a lot to answer for too, but you could also say that there weren't a lot of opportunities for him. I think this is a chance for redemption for this offensive line. People have been saying, where's the O-line? You know, why did they spend over $20 million in the offseason? You know, why did they do that overhaul? Like people are asking these questions. Like the critics are loud and I think that time's deafening. I think if you don't have a a bounce back redemption game against Pittsburgh. Then you get into the deep questions of like, can this offensive line really make it work? Like, will this offensive line, like, is this the answer? Like, I think at that point, we'll start saying, was this really the answer to the problems that they were having last year with? I, I don't know. That, that to me, that to me feels like a season end, a season end thing. Um, you know, cause Brian Callahan said today that, you know, he thinks Leo Collins is playing as good a football as he has today. Is, is um, he though? I don't he's know. Better. Uh, he's been he's been a heck of a lot better than he's been. 
Um, you know, I, th- I think. But is he good enough? I, I agree, but like, has he been good, good enough? I, I think so. I mean, I think individually, yeah. Um, I think there have like it feels like there's always been spots. I think like the first week you can kind of you can kind of rack it up to a few different things. Um, you know, then one week it's Jonah Williams, and then one week you feel like Leo Collins didn't play well, and then one week you feel like the interior gets blown up. So it, it's kind of been like one of those situations where like you're trying to plug a wall. Uh, that's leaking water, and as soon as you plug that hole, another one emerges. It's a so, balloon effect. Yeah, so um, a balloon effect. Well, it's just kind of like, yeah, like you push the air from one side of the balloon and it just goes to the other. Like the air doesn't just completely go out. It just shifts from one side to the other where it's it's just I've, not yeah, even. Yeah, never heard of it. But when you said balloon effect, I was like, what in the hell is he talking about? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so to me, I think, you know – like if, if you give up like three sacks against Pittsburgh and one of them comes to Watt and the other one, I think that's fine. Know. Yeah. I like, that's I'm, fine. I, I don't know. It, it, it depends. A lot of this is dependent because you could give up one sack and then rush for 1.2 yards per carry. And then we got a whole other issue going on. So exactly. like there, there, there's a bunch of different things going on here. So I, I, I don't know if there's like a clean cut answer, um, which is, I know not exactly the best thing to say or the best answer to give people, but I'm not sure that there is a clean, hey, here's the fix. You know, here's what here's what the problem is. Here's what the fix is. And I, you know, I could see where you're saying it's an end of season question, but I also don't think the sample size is that small either. Like we're in the second half of the season. Well, no, We've yeah, it, it gets it gets better. It, it get it gets more. You can tell more about the line as you move along here, but and that's understandable. And look, maybe. For all we know, like whether they have a good or bad game against Pittsburgh Sunday, the rest of the season they could be lights out against. I mean, for all we know, Tennessee, who's going to have the king, the second leading rusher in the league, Derrick Henry, and that's another conversation we'll have. You know, obviously next week before that game, but that, that is going to be something to watch. Uh, I really think, especially like with Lyle Collins, like how is he going to do against uh, JJ Watt, and how's Cordell Volson, who I, I will say Volson for a rookie, and in Zach Taylor's words, he hasn't been playing like a rookie. He's playing like a vet. Like, we'll see how he does against uh, Cam Hayward, who I know he gave up a sack against him, but the first game in the league, that that's point, forgivable. To that point, you, you do reach a point in the season where rookies are kind of – you've been around the block a little bit. Um, right. Because, so, you know, rookies play in the preseason, and then you're you got regular season games down, and – now with the COVID year, like you mentioned, Volson, like Volson's 24 because he took the extra year of eligibility in college. Um, you know, so you're, you're talking about guys that are maybe a little bit older, a little bit more mature, played a little bit more football. Um, and once you reach November, I mean, the guys understand what they're doing. There's not a, a wide eye, especially when you're playing a team again. Um, right. There's not like a wide eyed aspect to this. So the rookie thing, I, I, I think you can kind of, as it goes along, I think that it just gets more and more diminished, I would say. That's understandable. And, I mean, you know, I think when they did that overhaul, maybe kind of contradicting myself when I say this, maybe it's not something that was going to come all together this year. Maybe this year's still a work in progress for what could come next year. I don't no, know. Maybe I know. They that's built, they the built this line to win there. this year. They built this line to win this year because, you. I mean – this team, no, was, I agree. this team was I agree. 40 yards away from a Super Bowl. Like, like, yeah. like, look, it's Aaron Donald. No offensive lineman in the league is going to keep him down for a whole game. 
Well, like everybody points to that play at the end of the Super Bowl where like if Burrow had a few more seconds, Jamar Chase is down the sideline, like wide open because Jalen Ramsey fell down. I think that I think that that play gets a little bit overstated, but I guess my point is you were that close. I mean, you were a defensive stand away from winning the Super Bowl. Like this, this, this isn't a team where you can be like, oh well, maybe like they built this to win this year. So I mean, you can no, grade them on a short term curve, but um, I, I, or excuse me, you can grade them on a long term curve, but you also need to take into account like this line was meant for for victories now. No, that's what they were meant for. But what I'm saying is like if they don't get what they wanted this year, maybe next year could be different. Like I know with Jonah Williams, they added that 50 year option for him, which that was a gamble because, you know, with how he's looking now, it makes you wonder, like, is he going to get better or worse? So, you know, maybe next year with that gamble and the other guys they have, maybe it does work out. But I'm just saying maybe this year shouldn't just write them off if they don't get the results they wanted, even though that's like you said, what they won. That's obviously what any team would want to hear now. But Stay tuned with us when we come back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We're going to talk more about if the Bengals offense is playing like they should be on paper. Plus, we're going to look at our MVP odds when we return on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So Andrew and I have talked a lot about, you know, the rematch and revisiting Pittsburgh, who they played in week one. Minka Fitzpatrick was a dog in that game. He may or may not be in the game. TJ Watt was for sure a dog in that game. He is definitely going to be back, and that is definitely going to be a problem. But on the upside for the Bengals, after the bye week was said and done, they have the eighth highest overall ranked offense in the league. Their passing offense is even better. They are a few spots above that at sixth overall. The rushing offense uh, is not as memorable. They have the fifth worst, fifth worst in the league, which is different. You know, that's a whole other sidebar. But overall, though, that is also coming off of a 200-plus yard historic day for Joe Mixon. So, Andrew, you see the stats. They're top 10 in the league. Joe Burrow uh, is definitely, I think, after that week one loss, which he promised and sworn he would never relive again, and I don't think he will, you know, we see the numbers, we see the stats, and we've seen those flashes against uh, the Saints, the Falcons, and yes, the Panthers. You can laugh all you want, but we saw a lot of flashiness. But are they really playing like a top 10 offense on paper? Because you look at the game against Cleveland, you look at the game against Dallas, Baltimore, and you wonder, but if they're a top 10 offense, why do they look so lethargic? I mean, what do you make of yeah, that contrast? I mean, it's – I think right now you have to give them an incomplete because you don't have Jamar Chase. Um, and it did kind of look like they turned a corner against uh, against the Saints and then going into Atlanta. I mean, maybe the offense plays really well on Sunday and then it's obvious that, you know, that Browns game was just a stinker and they can, they can kind of play without Jamar and Jamar is just going to be that shot in the arm that they need. But, um, you know – I don't think they have. It doesn't feel like they have because I, I, you have to grade them on a curve. You have to grade them relative to expectations. Right. Like if this offense, like if we were talking about this team and they, like if we were covering the Falcons or the Lions and they had this offense, like we'd be like, wow, like this offense is, this offense is pretty good. Like this is better than everybody thought. So I think that it, it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where I mean maybe you can I guess argue that in the other way where you're like well they actually haven't been as bad as you might think 
you know, blah, blah, blah. Here's, here's the reasons why. And just kind of point to the expectations. But, I mean, this is an offense that everybody saw explode last year. You have Joe Burrow. You have Jamar Chase. You have T. Higgins. You have Tyler Boyd. Like, you, you add Hayden Hurst in the offseason. Like, this is an offense that should be better than they are. At least, I don't even know about better. should be more consistent than they are. That's the big thing. It's the consistency because, yeah, like you have top 10 stats in those games I mentioned at New Orleans and against Atlanta. And funny enough, the Panthers, all NFC South teams, it just shows you how horrible that division is. But the point is you've seen those flashes. Um, We even saw it against the Dolphins. We saw it against the Jets, who they played on the road. So it hasn't just been those NFC South teams, which, again, we understand are not that good. But then again, like the consistency was not there against Baltimore. It was not there against the Browns. And I understand you could say it was a stinker because you had no Jamar Chase in that game, but you could say the same thing about, I don't like to say Pittsburgh because that was such a dud, but Dallas, even with that pass rush against Dallas, there really wasn't much to be uh, impressed with until that very end when it was too late for Cincinnati once Dallas kicked a walk-off field goal. Anyway, it is consistency, and I think – it's going to be harder without Jamar against Pittsburgh. I'm not saying they won't be consistent. I think they can build off of what happened against Carolina. But the big thing is, for T and Tyler Boyd, is they have to be prepared for that cloud cover. If Minka Fitzpatrick plays, which, again, he didn't practice Wednesday, his status is up in the air. But if he plays, be ready for that. And Joe Burrow knows this, but he's got to be ready for that too, like, you know, I know there's not much you can get out of, you know, a Trent Taylor or a Trent Nerwin, but when you've got T and Tyler, you just have to find a way. You know, he's been completing 75% of his passes. That's the best in the league, and that's remarkable. Like, those are almost near video game numbers, but those completions have to be downfield. They have to be up the middle. They have to be down the seams because the problem is we didn't see that against Baltimore. They were just throwing little check downs that were not getting them anywhere until it was too late. Against Cleveland, I mean, you had the two long touchdowns. By by either point, it was like 25 nothing. You know, you got to be gutsy, and you have to be ready to throw long, even with that cover, too. Look, you just have to be prepared. And Joe Burrow's confident. I think he certainly has reason to be confident, but they have to act on that. And I think if they can show that they can play against a team like Pittsburgh with that pass rush with Fitzpatrick and everyone in between, and they can – throw those long shots, and I think you're in a good position to say, hey, yeah, we are a top-10 offense. And like Joe Burrow said in week six, we know who we are. And I think they'll know who they are if they can act on that. And so in light of Joe Burrow and all these numbers and stats and all the gadgetry we've mentioned, we've been doing this every Wednesday, so we'll kind of go back to this. What are the latest MVP odds in the NFL, and where does Joe Burrow fit? Well, let's go back and look at the latest rankings. This is from DraftKings. Uh, Caesar Sportsbook is really not much different. It's really the same as this. But just to read it to you in order from top to bottom, the leading favorite right now is Patrick Mahomes from Kansas City, plus 150. Right behind him, Jalen Hurts for the Eagles, who lost his first game of the season against Washington, plus 400, who's also tied at second. With Tua Tagovailoa, who was a near fifth last week, he's plus 400. And then right behind him, Josh Allen, who was in that top two, drops to fourth. He's favored plus 600. Then at number five, Lamar Jackson sitting steady there for the Ravens, plus 1,400. And Joe Burrow, who was in sixth place last week, 
is still there now. He is in six, as we said, uh, plus 2,500 for that. So, you know, obviously the big thing is, you know, with, with Mahomes and Hurts, yeah, they're still at the top two. No shocker there. But, man, Tua Tagovailoa, obviously, you know, he got that jump because Josh Allen dropped a little bit after that loss against Minnesota, which you could say was – how much was on him I think is debatable. But nonetheless, it dropped him a little bit uh, down to that fourth spot. But, I mean, for Burrow, like, when you look at Tua Tagovailoa playing lights out, I mean, Mahomes – being his MVP self like he was a couple years ago. I mean, at this point, how much of a chance is there for Burrow yeah, I mean, to like climb I said, back into that? Like I don't I really know. Here for a while, I don't think there's much of a chance at all because, I mean, who who wins these awards? Quarterbacks with winning records. Right. I mean, I've been, I've been kind of harping that on that for a while. And, like, so surprised that, like, the second the Dolphins – like, look, the Dolphins played really, really well against the Browns, but – the second that you jump into the lead in the division and you jump to the top of the conference, it's no secret that that's why two is there. Um, so yeah, to me, I, I, I really like Lamar in that situation. Um, just it, it, with his odds, um, just because if you look at the rest of the quarterbacks, I mean, the, the Bills still have four games against the AFC East. Now granted that can go the other way too. But the Ravens are six and three, and they're scheduled down the stretch. They don't play a team with a winning record as of right now uh, for the remainder of the season. So, uh, excuse me, they play one, um, the Bengals. Um, <laughs> so the they play. They, but my point is, their schedule is very, very weak. So if if I were taking flyers, I'd take Lamar right now. Just as a so shot. you're you're picking Lamar. If if you had to pick the MVP right now, you'd pick Lamar Jackson. If I had to, if I had to pick between them, like if I had to bet between them, even though. Uh, like, uh, obviously, if you pick, it's Lamar. But if you had to bet between them, I would still take Lamar, even though Burrow's got longer odds um, and you would get more money out of it. But I, I just – right now, I Lamar, with who they play, with the fact that they don't really have any receivers and that he's going to have to drag them to – like, at the beginning of the year, he was really, really good, and the Ravens were not great. Their defense kind of let him down. Um like they blew that 20, like they had 35 points at the end of the third quarter against the Dolphins and their defense screwed up. So like, to me, I, I think that Lamar, he just gives you a lot of upside there. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair bet. I, and I think there's a lot of defense there. I mean, Lamar is definitely in the running. I mean, he's going to be in the running until the end of the year. And look, I'm not saying Joe Burrow isn't like technically it's not over till it's over, but I mean, I feel less good about it knowing how much better Tua's stock is. And yes, with Josh Allen dropping a little bit, who could drop even more. I mean, unless Josh Allen somehow starts trending downwards for whatever reason, I, unless that happens, and I don't think it will. I really don't. Unless that happens, then there's really not much that can elevate Joe Burrow. And even then, let's say he climbs into that top five. I mean, are you beating out Jalen Hurts, who has an 8 and one team that Really could have been nine and zero after a really close loss to Washington. And are you beating out Patrick Mahomes, who has won the MVP, who's a Super Bowl champion, who's been in two Super Bowls? And yeah, I get it, Burrow's two and zero against him, but that's just between them, you know. In the grand scheme of things, you still compare and contrast Mahomes, and there's a reason why he's favored by plus one fifty according to the latest odds makers. So, if I had to pick, I, I don't know. 
I'd say either Mahomes or Hurts, but if you force me to pick between the two, I'd say Mahomes. I just think it's remarkable yeah, and, that yeah. – I mean, I get it. They're not in a good division. I think they're in the worst division in football. But, I mean, you know, without Tyreek Hill, the way he's just been able to win and put numbers up with his other receivers like McCole Hardman and Travis Kelsey, who, again, I think Kelsey's still one of the better, if not the best tight end at his position. But, you know, uh, it's going to be close. I'm not saying Mahomes is a shoo-in, but I'm just saying if I have to pick right now, I'd go with Patrick Mahomes on that. But, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see what happens. I mean, I'd like to see if Lamar exceeds expectations, like you're saying, and where Josh Allen fits. And, and then on top of that, I don't want to, you know, treat Tua like the third wheel. I mean, for all we know, Tua's stock could get higher and higher. And it's going to be fun. I'm definitely looking forward to it. And uh, it's going to be very sporadic until the very end. But stay tuned with us as tomorrow we will be talking the Bengals defense going against Kenny Pickett, how different it'll be compared to Mitchell Trubisky, and much, much more. And once again, for myself and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. We'll see you.